You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Welcome to our seventh session on the prayers of the righteous, because we know that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful, is effective, and you are righteous. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are counted amongst the righteous. Thanks be to God. It's not through anything that I have done that made me righteous. It's all Jesus' credit. And because of Jesus, I'm able to boldly enter into the throne room of grace and I can bring, present my requests to Jesus, to God, with thanksgiving and he hears them and my prayers are powerful and effective. So in this series, we've had a good look at uh, a various number of prayers, well, six others really, throughout the Bible, some of them a little bit obscure, but things we could learn from them. We've looked at Abraham, we've looked at a wife for Isaac, we've looked at Jabez, David praying for God's will, Isaiah praying when the heavens, last time we prayed, uh, so we didn't pray, well we did pray, but we listened to a talk on the early church and how they prayed uh, constantly and they prayed united. And today I want us to finish this series looking at Paul and Timothy's prayer for the Colossians. So in the beginning of a lot of Paul's letters, you have a standard greeting and he often says, I thank God every time I think of you, the church that he's writing to. And he often has a prayer or some sort of greeting. And the one in Colossians just caught my attention because of a few points which I'll bring out. But it's useful to have a little bit of background on the, um, on the letter itself. So we think Paul was writing this, uh, this particular letter from prison in Rome. And it's probable and most likely that he had never visited the Colossian church. He'd never been to Colossae. And um, what he has heard, though, is that there are some false teachings coming in from outside of the church. In fact, from paganism, from Judaism and just from Greek philosophy. These ideas are starting to creep into the theology of the church. Remember, they haven't got Paul's letter yet, and they haven't got a canonised, a formulated New Testament. They've got the Old Testament, um, but it's all open to all kinds of teachings and ideas coming in, and Paul has to put them right, and we believe the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write these words. The heresy that eventually comes out of um, heresy is teaching that's against the Bible. Um, the heresy that comes out eventually is later known as Gnosticism. I don't know if you've heard of Gnosticism. It begins, begins with a G and it comes from the same word that we get the word knowledge. And the Gnostics felt that they could have this personal spiritual knowledge um, that was more valuable than orthodox teaching, than normal teaching, than biblical teaching. If you, you've gained this spiritual secret knowledge, then you've got this kind of divine spark and you, you understand secret spiritual truths that you might not be able to express, but you kind of, you're in the know. And, um, and that experience of having that knowledge was, was um, weighted far higher than any biblical teaching. And the Gnostics also denied Christ as God and they denied Christ as Saviour. So this is a heresy and it's, it's starting to develop in the, in the Colossian church and in other Christian circles and Paul wants to combat that. And the reason I tell you that is because you can see him already right from the first verses. And we start at verse 3 today of chapter 1, but from the first verses here we can already see him 
starting to put them straight on doctrinal issues. And that's not the reason we're looking at this today. We're looking at this to see it as one model for prayer. But it's interesting to, to bear that in mind. So let's have a look at some of the lessons we can learn from this prayer of Paul and Timothy. He opens the letter saying he's, it's Paul and Timothy, although uh, we think it's Paul that wrote it. Um, and let's see what we can learn. So let's start in Colossians 1, verse 3. And I'll jump around a little bit just to skip some verses to save a bit of time. Feel free to read it all in your own time. It is all the word of God. I'm just reading part of it. It's an extract. So verse 3. We, that is Paul and Timothy, always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. For this reason, so that's that's why I put the first bit in, that for this reason is referring to the faith that the Colossians have that has been reported back to Paul and Timothy. So because of their faith, since the day we heard about you, and that's why we think he hasn't visited them, since the day we heard about you, we continue, continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So this is what Paul is praying for the Colossian church, that they would be filled um, with wisdom and understanding, so that, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. See, he can't help but get into this whole theology of Jesus is the saviour because the Gnostics or those that precede the Gnostics are starting to, to cast doubt on the idea of Jesus as God and Jesus as saviour. But in all of that, we can see what Paul is saying, that he and Timothy, whenever they pray for the Colossian church, they thank God for them and then they pray these, these things for them. So I wanted to look at the characteristics of the prayer and the content of the prayer and, and see if we can pull out some ideas for our own prayer life and and I was challenged reading this thinking well I don't often pray for my fellow believers in this way I might pray about a need we just talked before I started about someone's need or, or, or someone who's helping others in need and I might pray for that situation but um, some of these the content of the prayer which you'll always already see in your notes um, not always things I pray for, but it's, it's a challenge and an interesting thought. But the first of all, the characteristics of the prayer. Thanksgiving. Paul is big on thanksgiving. And I've tried to be uh, big on thanksgiving in my emphasis when I'm talking about prayer recently. And when I'm praying myself, I often start with thanksgiving. If someone asks me to pray with them, as often they do, 
Um, they might bring a need, but I often start by saying thank you for this person. And then I just start thanking God for various things. It's just a great way in. I often quote Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Or well, I'm starting to remember the version that was in a song, enter his courts with praise. Um, but these things are so important just to work into uh, or to walk into prayer with thanksgiving. And that's what Paul models here he says in verse 3 we always thank God always we always thank God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you and think about it what I've just shared about the background they've got these um, false teachings circulating around that must cause a lot of worry for an apostle who's a church planter who's given his life for the kingdom of God he wants to see churches grow and thrive and and grow in maturity in the faith and he must be quite concerned about this heresy that's going around and the prayer could just launch straight into God just deliver them from these people that are coming in with this false teaching he had a lot to pray for much to deal with in the church but Paul and Timothy always gave thanks and however much we've got to bring to God however uh, low our lives are we must I believe always and it certainly works for me um, always start our prayer time with thanksgiving and as, as I've said on a recent Sunday just thank thank God for our friends thank God for our family thank God for our Christian family thank God for our health and um, just go through your body and thank God you know I'm walking along and thank you God that I can walk thank you that I can walk along this coast path even though it's bumpy and I've got the fitness to do that mm. thank you for my health and, uh, and as I said to an aging congregation recently just look at your body and thank God for anything that works so but that's how we feel sometimes but thank him thank him um, and this this isn't just an isolated idea in this uh, particular letter you will remember if you are a student of the bible philippians 4 verses 6 to 7 paul is giving instruction to a different church but he's saying in philippians 4 verse 6 do not be anxious about anything he knew they had anxieties but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to god and launch, just launch in with God, I've got this problem. Because what can happen when we do that is we just end up reinforcing the problem, going over and over the problem. But if you start to thank God, mm -hmm. you start to lift your heart, you start to encourage yourself in the Lord. And what happens, staying in Philippians 4, I've got it in front of me, you haven't. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. So your anxiety is in your understanding but as you start to bring your request with thanksgiving the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts your troubled hearts your anxious hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus so characteristics of the prayer number one thanksgiving the second thing I see is persistency he keeps on praying we know that Jesus taught the parable of the persistent widow to teach his disciples to always pray and never give up and in the same way Paul writes that he and Timothy continually is the word in verse 9 you can see it in the printout on verse 9 he says that they continually pray for the church so they always thank God and they pray continually 
Again, we see this modelled elsewhere by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says to the Thessalonian church, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for his Sorry, for this is the will of, for you in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. So we've got it here again, this thanksgiving and persistency. He says, pray continually in 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So there's prayer and there's thanksgiving, all interwoven all the time. So whatever you're bringing to God, you're thanking him. You might not thank him for a situation. I know some people... Um, try their best to do that but some things if you're in the worst possible situation it's very difficult to thank God for this trial although some people do you know because thank you for this trial because I know that this trial is going to teach me endurance and character building but sometimes you can be just so low that you can't thank him for this dark cloud of depression that's hanging over you or this horrific situation that you found yourself in through no fault of your own but you can thank God for something And we'll have a look right at the end of this talk at some of the things you can thank him for. The third characteristic I see in this prayer is unity. And forgive me if you think I'm stretching this, but I've been, or we as a leadership team and others have been talking about unity. Unity amongst the churches in this town and unity within our church. And I like the fact that Paul says we. In verse 3, he says we, meaning he and and Timothy. And in verse 9 as well, we are praying for you and I felt like that was just a glimpse into what it might have been like to travel around with Paul and to do ministry with Paul they were constantly in prayer and they were praying together I pray a lot better when someone else is listening I know God's listening but someone physical praying with me amening along that's not a verb but someone praying with me amening along um, just helps me to stay on track for their sake uh, I know that's probably carnal of me but that's the way I am and when we pray together we stay focused and we encourage one another as well and we learn by uh, listening to someone else pray and giving the amens to what they have to say too so I think praying in unity is really important and I will finish in plenty of time so we can have some prayer time together so that's the characteristics and I think they're characteristics of lots of prayers that we should have and do have as a church that there's thanksgiving built in It just doesn't become this depressive downward spiral of need. That there's always thanksgiving, there's always hope in the Christian walk. There's always joy in in walking with Jesus to be found. There's always joy there to be found and, uh, and, and persistency and unity. Let's have a look at the content of the prayer and you'll see I have got um, seven points but they won't be as long as the first three so fear not friends. What did Paul and Timothy pray for the Colossian church? And can this help us in our prayers for other Christians today? That's what I'm asking myself. Can this prayer help us in our praying for others? Well, the first thing he prays for is that they would have spiritual insight. Spiritual insight. And this is where the challenge came for me, because I know Paul prays this for the Ephesian church at the beginning of his letter to the Ephesians as well, that the eyes of their hearts would be opened, um, which is an interesting uh, figure of speech isn't it the eyes of your hearts being opened and it's this spiritual insight that so many of us feel like we lack when we most desperately 
need it. But if we look at our text today, the extract on your sheet, in verse 9, it says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Now, just pause here. This is God, the creator of the universe. And you'll see as we go through this prayer how audacious Paul is in praying this prayer. Actually, step back and think about who he's asking and what he's asking for just ordinary Christians like you and me. That God would fill ordinary Christians like you and me with the knowledge of his will through all, not just some, not just the amount of wisdom that you can manage, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Well, you can say, well, there's, there's the limit on it. It's however much the Spirit will give. But I just think there's a sense of bounty and overflow in Paul's request. He's asking that God, and he's continually asking that their spiritual insight would be widened, opened, deepened. We continually ask God to fill you with all the knowledge of his will. Wouldn't that be great for me to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Now, I know very often in my life there's uh, things that go on and I just feel a nudge that a certain move is, is not sinful, but it's wrong for me right now. Or there's, there's a doorway opening and you just think, well, no, no, that's not, that's not actually in line. And you just get this insight in your heart. And the more you spend time with God, the more you can develop that sense. You can uh, make your awareness greater, more sensitive. Um, but to know the fullness of God's will um, as the Spirit gives, that's what I want. So if, if, if you've never prayed that before for someone, pray it for me, please. I want some of that, some of that fullness of his knowledge of his will. Um, spiritual understanding from God even as I read the scripture and as you read the scripture I pray that that you would have verses just prompt you to go back and re-read and and some of us uh, I say also I'm not doing it many many in our church are doing the bible in a year because people have been talking about it um, the, and, and I've done it before and it is it is a challenge um, but for those of us who are doing the bible in a year you've got a lot of reading to do and if you're following the Nicky Gumbel thing, you've got his comments as well. It can take quite some time. And the challenge is that sometimes you, you feel like that verse stood out to me. And I, I just want to go back and, and read it. And, and, um, and just to follow that leading, to make time, to find time, to follow that leading and listen. Because the Spirit might want to just give you a little bit of insight just for you. Just something in that verse that's so special to you that the Spirit wants to talk to you about and uh, even today I had the same experience reading my personal <coughs> pardon me my personal reading um, which is the last verse of a chapter I was reading and I thought oh I've not seen that before and I have to make time because I'm ready to go and do the next thing in my daily schedule uh, actually this time it was seeing Paul Black so I, had to, I, have, I still have to go back and meditate and so tomorrow and this is the this is the freedom I'm in I'm not doing the Bible in a year so I'm just going to halt my Bible reading plan for a day and just spend some time in that one verse tomorrow instead of going on to the next chapter. Because what I'm asking for is spiritual insight. Let's pray for one another that we would receive that same insight. Mm. The second uh, thing I see in the prayer is that they, uh, that, that they, that is Paul and Timothy, pray that the Colossian church would live lives that please God. And this is linked to the first. As we have the insight into the fullness of his will, we then know how to walk in his ways. We know general guidance from the Bible, but there are specific ways in which you as a human being, as an individual, as a unique 
individual need to walk and that wisdom that comes from the Lord can guide you and then you can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Paul's just full on. It's he uses the word all way too much for my liking and every as well. We're going to please him in every way. And uh, I just I just love those prayers. But I, I just see a distinction here in my own life between following man's wisdom, which is good in many, many ways and in business and in in, in work in the workplace and in all sorts of situations buying a house, getting a mortgage, doing loads of things. Human wisdom just works and it ties up a lot with uh, biblical wisdom as well. But sometimes God's wisdom for you in a situation contradicts human wisdom, man's wisdom. And when you've just heard that word from the Lord and you know you've got to, you've got to sell up and move on or you've got to do something that looks crazy but you just know it's God you just got to go for it because that really pleases God because without faith, it's impossible to please God and it's God's wisdom that usually leads us to do something that looks like a ridiculous risk, but it's an act of faith. And it's not a risk at all if you know it's God. It's only a risk in the eyes of those who aren't trusting the Lord. So um, I'm just seeing the link here between the first, the first point and the second of hearing God's wisdom and living a life that pleases God. We see this in Galatians 1 verse 10. It's not on your sheet, so just have a listen. In Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul says, same writer, Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I remember reading that last year and it just, struck me so hard because uh, like so many of us I would call myself a recovering people pleaser and this verse is just bang right on the on the on the nail about ple pleasing people I'm just going to read it one more time because I just feel like it might just sink in a little bit more we're talking about point two we're praying that we would live lives to please God and Paul says in Galatians 1:10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. They're strong words. Once again, it's all or nothing with Paul. And uh, I just pray that that would be a challenge to all of us, that we would hear his wisdom and that we would live lives that please him, even if it means displeasing or disappointing people. And that's where the crunch comes the third point is that they pray that the Colossian church would bear fruit. And again, I see a link. And there is a link. It's, grammatically, if you read the sentence, I've broken it down to points. But all I'm doing is breaking the sentence down uh, and just looking at it point at a time. So they're going to seek wisdom, which means they'll leave, sorry, they'll live lives that please God, which means that point three, they will bear fruit. It's in verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. So the Gnostics, if you remember them, they were out for inner personal spiritual knowledge. That was the philosophy that was going around, that was developing and creeping into the church. But actually, it might not have had any bearing on everyday life. And where it did have bearing, the, the next phase was asceticism, which is where there was complete denial of self, but not in a Christ-like self-denial, where you take up your cross. It was, um, it was punishing yourself 
and um, causing physical harm to yourself and starving yourself and abstaining um, was the next phase because the Gnostics were teaching that all matter, all physical things was evil. So you deny your, your physical body. Um, so that was the only fruit that Gnosticism bore. But the fruit that Christ bears in our lives is abundance and beauty and healing and life and abundance of life. And we are, want, we are wanting to bear fruit in every good work. So you can see the contrast between the way the church would be going if it followed this false teaching and the way we will go if we follow Christ's teaching. Seeking his wisdom, living a life that pleases him and automatically bearing fruit. Fruit just grows. You get all the conditions right of a plant and the fruit will just grow. You don't have to squeeze fruit out of a tree. It just grows naturally if you get everything else right. The fourth prayer is that they would grow in the knowledge of God. And maybe this isn't in a flow chart anymore because you might want to grow in the knowledge of God earlier on in the phase. Um, but anyway, as you walk with God and you bear fruit, you do start to grow in the knowledge of God. And I would just say about this, the more we know God, the more we love him. I don't know who first said the phrase, to know you is to love you. Is it, is it a Shakespearean quote? To know him is to love him, something like that. But that's what it's true about God. The more you know him, the more you love him. The more you realise how much he loves you. When you really get past all sorts of weird teachings that you might hear and you just find out who God is, you see that God is love. You see that God actually loves himself, which is a weird thought that the Trinity is is God loves God and the Father loves Jesus all in there in the Gospel of John and and then and and Jesus says that as the Father has loved me so have I loved you there's this whole um, love explosion going on in the Christian walk and the more we know him the more we love him and as we as we allow ourselves to open up to that untainted perfect pureness of love then we will bear fruit when we will grow in the knowledge of God. The fifth point is that he prays that they would know his power firsthand. And here we have another all. It says in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That's some power, all of God's power, being strengthened in all. God's not holding anything back. He can only love completely. He can only give completely. And that is some power. It's not power according to what you can believe in or what, uh, or relative to our human understanding, but all power according to his glorious might. Do you have any idea how powerful God is in all his glory, in all his might? That's the audacity of this prayer. I have no idea. I can't contain how powerful God is in all his glory, in all his might. I know he raised the dead, I know he raised Jesus from the dead, and I know that the same power lives in me. But that's an incredible power to be praying for. Why don't we pray that for one another tonight? That we would grow in wisdom, we'd live lives that please him, we'd bear fruit, we'd grow in the knowledge of God, but we would know God's power first hand. That would be incredible to see worked out in our lives. The sixth point is that they pray for endurance and patience. And this kind of um, brings a bit of balance or even contrast when you think about, I've just been talking about his power and, and now we're just going to pray for some patience. But surely if we've got all of God's power, we can just grenade every problem and blow it out of the water. But sometimes God allows us to endure suffering. Sometimes God 
causes us to endure suffering for his glory. We have to share in his sufferings. And in fact, it was the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, but Jesus had to be crucified for that to happen. And sometimes we want the resurrection experience without going through the death. Mm-hmm. And we need to pray for endurance. As Jesus endured the cross, surely as his followers, we can learn, as we learn to grow in the knowledge of God, we can grow in this endurance and patience. Not a message I want to preach, not a message I want to receive for myself, but we have this power, but we also have to have patience. And while living in the balance between God's power and patience, we can, en- we can experience the power to endure, the power to keep going, the power to love others, even in our suffering, even loving those who cause us to suffer and at the same time we can pray that we're able to be joyful in thanks the seventh point is that they might be filled with praise whether they're suffering or not and this is where we come back to the first point the first characteristic of the prayer that i saw was one of thanksgiving and i like the word joyful here it's not just um it's in verse 12 it says and giving joyful thanks to the father verse 12 it says giving joyful thanks to the Father, not just thanks. Have you ever had to give begrudging thanks? You know when you have to write thank you letters as a child or thank you notes for the Christmas presents you received? Or your, a younger child has helped you, and I'm putting helped in inverted commas, with a task and it's taken longer than it would have done without that child. Or a well-meaning friend offers advice and help. And sometimes you thank someone begrudgingly or you thank someone sarcastically or you thank someone through gritted teeth because it was a humbling experience, but he is saying thankful joyfully, giving thanks joyfully. And I just think that's important because we know even financially, God loves a cheerful giver, that we give to the Lord what we've decided in our heart to give, and we give cheerfully because that's how God wants to receive it. He wants it to come from a heart of thanksgiving. So he wants us to give thankfully and um, giving joyful thanks to the Father. So the next lines, which I've still printed, the prayer kind of ends there, but I've printed a few more lines up to the end of 14, just to see what we give thanks for. Giving joyful thanks to the Father in verse 12, who has qualified you, this is what we can thank God for, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have an incredible inheritance. We haven't seen it yet. We've, we've had a foretaste of it, but we haven't seen the incredible, infinite inheritance that we already have received. We have it. He has rescued us from darkness He's brought us into his kingdom. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We don't get what we deserve. We get far better. We have things to thank him for. So going back to the first point of thanking him in all situations, not necessarily feeling we can thank him for all situations, but whatever you are going through, if you've given your life to Jesus, you can thank him for your inheritance. You can thank him that when you've yeah. spent the first thousand, and Paul said on Sunday, we can't really count a thousand years in heaven because it's kind of timeless. 
Um, but just go with me for the, on this. Um, when you've spent your first thousand years in heaven, the depression we're going through now, the difficulties we're going through now, will just seem just like a scratch on the skin, an irrita a minor irritation in the light of all eternity in constant eternal bliss. We have a great inheritance. We have a lot to thank God for, and that's how we should be praying. So whatever's happening in our own lives, remember Paul writes these words from prison, not from the sun deck of some palatial pastor's manse, like I live in, obviously. We can always thank God for our suffering is temporary and that we have a glorious inheritance that outshines the sun. Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the example of prayers throughout the Bible. I thank you for teaching me so much through this series. But I also thank you for this prayer tonight that we've just looked at. So much to learn from it. And I pray you would increase us in our prayer and help us to receive all that you have for us in helping us, Holy Spirit, to pray with wisdom and understanding and see great things happen, to bear that fruit and to see others come to know you through our prayers and through our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.